0: I happen to have a lot of privilege to be able to get away with being out of the closet here. And so I feel like I kind of have a responsibility to do that. So to make it a little bit safer for other people to be like, you know, I'm not the only one there's, there's, there's a hell of a lot of people that are kinky in our, in our community. You know, it doesn't make you a freak or a dangerous person. It shouldn't be the social liability that it still is.
1: This is
2: Frisky, north of 60. We bring you stories about love, love and dating, dating in, in the, the north.
1: north. I'm your host, Karen McCall, and I'm joined by co host,
2: Jordan Patrick. We're recording in Whitehorse, Yukon, north of the 60th parallel,
1: where it's winter seven whole months of the year.
2: And where it's a skill to learn to have sex in snowshoes.
1: It sure is. So, sex in snowshoes, that's kind of kinky. And that's what today's episode is about, is kink. But first, uh, let's do a recap on our virtual speed dating event that happened uh, just over a week ago now.
2: Yeah, we've been getting some awesome feedback, and it seems like we had some success with the, well, participants had some success with it. 25 matches, folks.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there was, I think, 20, 20, about 25 total participants. And actually, one of my friends signed up specifically because you sold it so well um, on one of our previous episodes Jordan so kudos to that oh, and um, yeah I had some friends uh, message me after and say they had a great time uh, we also got an email from a woman and she said thanks for organizing this event I had fun and I didn't meet anyone that I had already met <laughs> she said she would definitely do it again so that's exciting
2: yeah it's always exciting doing something in the UConn being like I don't know these people
1: yeah, from the people we heard from anyways. It sounded like it turned out very positively.
2: Yeah. Kudos to you folks. I mean, it's an edge for a lot of people going on any kind of date. And you went on a series of blind dates, essentially, that, you know, although only lasted six minutes, um or or, or so, give or take, was uh was it, it takes courage to do that. So way to go. And I'd love to do I'd love to host us another event.
1: Yes, we have had a few people contacting us saying they'd like an event for a different age demographic and, um, or like sort of different styles of events. And we are definitely like hoping to run future events, um, when life is a little bit less crazy, but, uh, yeah, just excited about all the enthusiasm about that.
2: Yeah. Stay tuned folks. We got more coming for you.
1: And we also have a bit more feedback to share.
2: (gasps) Listener mail. You've got mail.
1: So, yeah, thank you for the people who've been listening to our feed- podcast and also leaving feedback. Um, we'd like to share just a couple of comments.
2: So, yeah, I got one here. This one's called bringing it to the forefront. And it's uh, more like a comment on the, the, the dating scene here in the Yukon. Um, Celtic Volva wrote, dating the Yukon is the most painful experience. There's definitely a different dating culture up here than elsewhere. It leaves a lot to be desired. Unfortunately, there is a very throwaway culture that people are disposable, perhaps even recycled for the most part. It's a hurtful place. I'm content with my cat, Nadine. Well, thanks, Nadine. And uh, I hope you and your cat are doing okay.
1: Yeah, and uh, maybe that's a sort of a different perspective we haven't heard before. So if Nadine wants to come on our show and chat about that, that would be uh, maybe enlightening for some folks.
2: Absolutely. I think a lot of people could relate to this feeling. You oh, know, totally. Like, it's not being jaded. It's part of the reality here. There's a, it's an, um, a very fluid, a come and go kind of uh, culture, right? Transient.
1: And mm-hmm. uh, we got another comment from Yukon Mike nine nine nine. This show gets better and better as the hosts dive deeper into small town dating in the far northwest of Canada. Great interviews and illuminating perspectives from guests and hosts on the challenges of modern dating using apps, COVID, a transient population, and a limited dating pool. Love the humorous and relaxed approach to this conversation. My main takeaway is how glad I am to no longer be dating.
2: Uh (laughs)
1: so take take that as as you will a a nice a nice comment thank you yukon mike 999 he also gave us five stars so that's
2: kind i give his comment five stars i mean (laughs) me too we could we should probably use this (laughs) oh wait we just did
1: (laughs) (laughs) so today's interview started with an email from a man named steve he listened to our podcast and he thought it would be a good platform for sharing more about kink and radical consent culture Mm -hmm. So just to unpack that a little bit, I thought I'd share a definition of kink. Um, It's by Samuel Hughes, who's a psychological researcher at the University of California in Santa Cruz. Uh, So he defines kink as a wide variety of consensual, non-traditional, sexual, sensual and intimate behaviors such as sadomasochism, domination and submission, erotic role playing, fetishism, fetishism, (laughs) and erotic roles of discipline. Say that three times, fetishism. Mm -hmm
2: fetishism 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 challenge accepted wow that was impressive i don't know where my brain went there
1: <laughs> You're like i got this i i also uh complete honestly i had to google what radical consent culture was i mean i could kind of extrapolate a little bit but um so the definition i found that i liked was on SheWrites.com. radical consent is the idea that everyone should have total control over our bodies in all our relationships personally socially sexually medically mentally politically and more hmm. so um so that's, a, I guess, our starting off point. Um, so now we'll go to Steve. He's a kinky Yukonner. He moved here from Victoria, B.C., where he started exploring the kink scene. And um, I started asking him just by how he got involved in that scene.
0: Uh, I grew up in a pretty conservative small town in rural Saskatchewan. And I knew at a pretty young age that my sexual appetites weren't mainstream. Um, and like I knew this before, like, before I was even a teenager. Um, and it was just the sort of thing that like, I knew I kind of had to keep a, keep a damper on and, and I was shy about it. And I kind of, you know, I held out hope that maybe I would find partners that were into the same, you know, the same thing as me, but my, um, dating prospects were a little, um, it was slim pickings in a small town. And, um, and yeah, and then of course that that feeling of like having to having to hide what you're what you're into is like a big part of why I was like so painfully shy, and it just that shyness kinda, kind of kind uh, of spoiled a lot of my um, a lot of my youth, I would say, um, for for dating, and so I didn't really date that much, um, and when I st- when I did finally get into a like stable relationship with a with somebody who who like shared some some interests of mine, in that regard, we got married like pretty soon. I was married by twenty three and uh, was in a exclusive relationship for seventeen years. And in the context of that marriage, I um, I kind of felt like I was getting to know, getting to know her better and able to show more of, more of myself. Um, And by the time I was like 38 and that, and my um, marriage was ending, I was looking at the prospect of getting back into the dating pool and it, and it felt really, really daunting because I hadn't been on a first date since 2001 and that was in 2018. And I felt like, I was, if I was going to have a chance to, 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 to do it over again and, and, um, uh, and really go for what I wanted, I was, you know, I was going to have to be pretty upfront about what I was all about and put it out there and own it. And I, I kind of wanted to try being a lot more out of the closet. I didn't want, I wanted to start off from a position of being kind of out of the closet.
1: Footnote, I didn't really ask Steve much about his personal kinks during our chat. Um, part of the reason was because I wanted to respect a bit of his privacy, but I realized that as you're listening to this, you are going to be wondering. So I did email Steve after our interview and asked him just to elaborate a little bit. Um, and he very generously wrote me back. He said, my kink lists go on for pages. And he did indeed write me a fairly detailed email, but I'll just read you one line, which I think gives you enough of an idea. Kinky life is kind of like being a geek about pleasure and pursuing imaginative adult play, not necessarily sex, as a deliberately intense experience through heightened erotic tension. Thanks for sharing that, Steve. Now we'll go back to our chat.
0: I had known that there were these kink events happening in my communities in like in Saskatoon, um, Regina, Winnipeg, other cities, there were like dungeon parties and a kink event and kink workshops and munches, which are like these gatherings of, of kinky people that where they get together to socialize. Um, but I had never really taken an interest in that. But then when I was, you know, single and feeling kind of, grim about my prospects being like okay I'm let's see I'm I'm 38 I'm broke I'm moving to moving to Victoria where I don't really know very many people um but I thought I'd try to dip into the kink community that was out there
1: I I do want to talk about that but maybe just before we get too deep in we should kind of just talk about um, sort of like the basics of kink for people listening, okay. like like a yeah. word that's used in the kink community is vanilla, which means like sort sure. of, I guess, like the mainstream, right? Sort of mainstream sexual tastes. Yeah, kind of,
0: yeah. Mainstream, conventional, heteronormative. There's lots of different things that people mean by vanilla. Um, and I lately have been really trying to, trying not to not to buy into this, kind of false dichotomy about about there being like a kind of a separate like these separate worlds of vanilla people and kinky people because there's a lot of people that are quote vanilla that that, that do practice a lot of that, that do have a lot of kinky sex and have kinks and and fetishes it's really not black or white and then and then there's kind of some unhealthy things out there where people like vanilla shame basically where it's like you know that there's a Especially with with social media, a lot of people that are that participate in kink culture try to project themselves as like, you know, uber kinky and and showing you know they don't want to they don't want anyone to to mistake them for being uh, vanilla because that would be mortifyingly boring or something. And I don't think that that pressure is healthy. I don't I think it causes people to to sort of be performatively extreme.
1: Mm-hmm. And so I guess when we are talking about kink, what are some sort of, I guess, more common or like not as extreme kinks that we can just sort of uh, mention as examples?
0: Okay, well, like people might enjoy wearing all latex, right? Or people might enjoy to be in all leather, or they might want to have a collar on and be led around on a leash by their partner and play with like role playing power dynamics. Um they're like, yeah, there's, there's so many different facets to, to the kink world. And for some, for some people, it's not even a sexual thing. For some people, it's like a, it, you know, it's a place for, for them to um, feel differently or to feel affirmed or uh, to uh, challenge themselves to, to really be in the moment. Yeah. So like, You know, most I think most people have like uh sort of get the idea that like it's um it can be fun to get you know to have like a to 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 get a spank on the butt or something like that, right? Um so that's that's in the in the realm of of impact play. Other people want, you know, want might want to take that further and get into stuff like floggers or or like paddles or or whatever. And so at the, at like kink dungeon parties, the stuff. Oh yeah. That's
1: what I, yeah. That's what I wanted to hear about is the kink dungeon parties and play parties.
0: So yeah, at a, at a dungeon party, there will be like a socializing area for people to hang out and visit. And you're kind of meant to stay away from the play floor. If you're not playing, you're not supposed to be interacting with the people that are playing. And by playing
1: like, like, um, like their role or what is it called? Role playing.
0: They, they might be role playing. They might be, they might be doing rope. They might be getting into impact play or something. Or be like a spanking bench or a, or like a, a you know, a wooden cross that, that people could might be like handcuffed to or something. And okay, their partner. So, so,
1: okay. So play is just whatever activities they're involved in. Okay.
0: Right. And that, and that, and it could be super gentle. You know, sometimes some people are into like, feathers and 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 kissing and and just there is just kind of a silly scene and other people get pretty get pretty you know hardcore with what they want to do at these at these events but um but yeah essentially you're it's not like a it's not a free-for-all the way that I think some people might imagine imagine it would be Um, I think it's not
1: a big or orgy it's not an
0: orgy it's really 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 not an orgy and and people in the people in the in the kink community tend to take consent practices very very seriously and talk a lot about nuanced approaches to to it um there's some some interesting conventions that i learned like i really appreciated the like bracelet uh signal system where like if you if you wanted to try to um, if you were open to to playing with someone new that night, and basically didn't, if you showed up to one of these parties and you wanted to, and you wanted to play, but you didn't have a partner, you could choose to wear a like a green wristband, and you would put the wristband you'd put the wristband on your um, left wrist if you uh, if you were interested in topping, or on your or on your right wrist if you're interested in bottoming. You know, if you're the bottom in in an impact scene, you're the person getting spanked. If you're the top, you're the person doing the spanking. So, like in a rope scene, um, if you're the person that, if you're the the rigger, if you're the person that that works with the ropes to to tie the other person up, that's the that's the top, and the person that gets tied up is the bottom.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Okay.
0: Basically, it's about whether you're open to negotiation. If you're if you're open to being solicited, right? Right. If yeah. you're if like a wearing a green wristband would say that you're that you're approachable that, that you want to be approachable that way. Right. Okay. Wearing, wearing a, a yellow one is like, is saying I'm, I'm approachable, but I'm pretty standoffish and, you know, and it's like, I'm, I'm certainly not, not a like play with anyone kind of player. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then if you're wearing a wristband, a red wristband, you're like, please just leave me alone. I'm, you know, either because you're there with a partner or you're not interested in, in, in play at all. Okay. So that's kind of a handy little handy little shortcut convention. Uh, but you know, not every dungeon party uses the wristband method like that. And, and for the most part, for the most part, like whatever people are doing on, on play for play floors, it's like they have decided that they're going, you know, those people have decided that, that that's what we're going to do. They've planned on their scene. They're, They're looking forward to it or they negotiate it that night. And but yeah, that's what that's kind of what the dungeon parties um, are structured like. But the the thing that I wasn't expecting about them was how like kind (laughs) of (laughs) tame and kind of and kind of just like geeky and awkward they are for the most part. There's like a lot of the night where everybody's kind of, it sort of has that junior high school vibe of like, everybody's at this, at the wall waiting for someone else to start dancing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, That, that a lot of the people in the kink, in the kink world, when when it gets right down to it are just are kind of shy geeks.
1: And then sort of on the other, I guess, end of the spectrum from dungeon parties is the munches, mm-hmm. which you refer to, which are just a get together, like could be at a restaurant or like a, a non-king exactly. setting. It's just a social get together.
0: Yeah. And those, for those, those are for the most part, pretty informal and they have, um, and, and yeah, it's just kind of a, just kind of a mixer. The ones that I absolutely love are the discussion munches where there's like one coherent conversation that's being had by all attendees. And, and cause then shy people get something out of it too. And they don't just feel like preyed upon or, or like ignored mm-hmm. um, and you get to learn a lot. And sitting at a table with people of mixed, uh, mixed backgrounds um, all talking about the, all talking about kinky topics it was absolutely fascinating you know to hear the hear the perspective of people in their in their 60s or 70s that have been doing this for decades you know having a conversation with people that are in their 20s that are just starting out and um you know queer queer folk non-binary folk uh diversity of of body types uh yeah it's just like it was Kind of a wake up call to how narrow my um, perspective was.
1: I was yeah. say that's something I wanted to ask you about because it sounds like there's a pretty strong educational component to some of the the munches.
0: Yeah, kink community to me are the people that are like that are invested in in like the safety and inclusion and health and diversity of their of their local kink scene and. That kind of the kind of camaraderie that you can find among those people is pretty invaluable. If you've felt for most of your life that you kind of just had to stay in the closet about about your about something that was pretty pretty core to your identity, sexually.
1: Why is like community such a big part of kink?
0: My sense of kink community, like, well, because I want I want to have I want to have um, safe and diverse and and enlightening um, opportunities for people in my community to become better communicators, safer players, um, uh, more responsible about, about how they manage their, manage their relationships. Um, when I was 38 and freshly divorced, I, I thought I was an empathetic and skilled communicator in relationships. I thought I had the moral integrity of excellent con- consent practices. I thought I had a good handle on how consent needs to remain enthusiastic, specific, sustained, uncoerced, revocable, and mutual. I thought I was a force for progressive inclusion in my community. You know, I thought of myself as an intersectional feminist or at least someone that would like to be um, an asset to that cause if I, even if I fucked up a lot. But I certainly didn't didn't feel like a beginner. I thought I knew what I wanted. I thought I knew, I knew a lot about this stuff, but I was pretty humbled pretty quickly in terms of how much I had yet to learn about this stuff. And now I'm like far more enthusiastic to identify myself as a novice in almost every regard, every, everywhere where I, where I can put down that, that, um, that sort of false, bravado of like, I know what I'm talking about here and say, I've got a lot to learn here. And, you know, I have a chance to listen to others. I just, you know, that benefits me. That that's good for me. That's, I get, I become, I become a better partner. I become a safer person to be around. I become a more accountable um, uh, participant in this stuff.
1: One of the things you, have touched on a couple of times is, is consent and how that's such a big part or, or like yeah. of the healthy kink community. And, and how is that maybe, um, how is that something that maybe like the non-kink community could, could learn from?
0: Well, um, I would think like, yeah, that's a, that's an excellent question. This is like kind of the main reason I wanted to come on this show is cause I think there's kind of, there's kind of a, a fucked up, uh, uh, approach to dating that people have and to, and at least to like interacting with strangers that you're interested in, um, to, to have the, the consent of your partner in mind from the outset, I think is to own what you're looking for from the start. And I call this, I call my approach, the like red flags forward approach, where you're not trying to be, you're not trying to, to present a really flattering image of yourself. Um, you are instead letting people know what kind of, what kind of things you're into all the things that might, that might scare someone off, because if there's anything that you really want in your, in your love life that is going to scare someone off, um, that person's not for you. You know, you're like, you should save yourself the, the half, the hassle and the disappointment and the heartbreak of getting attached to someone that, you know, where you're kind of, doomed from the outset because you weren't honest.
1: So kink for you has encouraged you to just take a whole uh, um, more honest approach to dating.
0: Right. And I, and I have to say that like, it's easier for me because I'm, because I'm a guy, because I'm, it's, it's easier for me because I'm white, because I have a job that doesn't, uh, that that's not at risk for being out of the closet about it but I still need the closet to a certain extent because, you know, I'm still a member of families of people that, that are, you know, I've, I have Christians in my family. I have, um, I have family members that have, that have, uh, important, uh, community jobs, uh, not King community jobs, but you know what I mean? Um, yeah. and you know, I don't want to bring, I don't want to bring scandal on my family. I don't want to bring, uh, uh, I don't want to be a liability for, for important people in my life, but I also want to be able to be myself. So I just like, like, there's just always going to be this balance between where is a appropriate and safe place to, to disclose what I'm into and what I'm all about. And, you know, yeah, just picking, picking my battles as a, as a middle-class white guy, I happen to have a lot of privilege to be able to get away with being out of the closet here. And so I feel like I kind of have a responsibility to do that. So to make it a little bit safer for other people to be like, you know, I'm not the only one there's, there's, there's a hell of a lot of people that are kinky in our, in our community, you know, it doesn't make you a freak or a dangerous person. It doesn't make you, you know, there's, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be the social liability that it still is. I'd like to go back
1: for a moment to something you said earlier about uh, wishing that the conversation around consent, both within and outside of the kink community, was more nuanced. What did you mean by that?
0: Well, I think the way that most people think of consent is sort of a checklist approach where it's like, like, oh, you're into, I'm into you, you're into me. Here's the kind of stuff that you like. So when we have sex, that's the kind of stuff we're going to do. Right? Um, and, and so people sort of feel like they have a green light to do what they've done before, or they have a green light to, um, or, or or, yeah, just that they're, um, that, that consent is, is like a consideration that you need to, that you need to take care of so you can get back to the fun business of being on your date, you know? Um, and I think it's, way healthier and way more fun and way, and a, a deeper, a deeper seduction when the consent process is like, is everywhere. It's, it, it's, it's in the, it's in how you, it's in how you conduct your conduct yourself with them at every point, you know, trying to, trying to um, make sure that you are mindful of your partner's needs and wants and that you have accurate information about what those needs and wants are, and so like and being flexible about understanding that that stuff changes, and like people people might not be in the mood for the thing that you've done before, you know. People might not be people might might change their mind in the middle of it, and that needs to be okay. You need to be a safe person to say no to. You need to be able to handle that well without like sulking in turn. You know, like it can be. It can. I think. There's a lot of people that have done a lot of things sexually that they weren't really in the mood for just because it was awkward to ask their partner to stop, or they didn't want to, they didn't want to go through the hassle of actually communicating their actual needs. And so there's a lot of self-erasure going on in the way that, in the way that I think people kind of avoid um, uh, asking for a break or avoid asking for a change or asking for something that they want.
1: Uh do you think that the kink community is safer when it um when it comes to consent compared to the non-kink community in, in your personal experience?
0: I think that there is a more sophisticated like um familiarity with with nuanced with the nuances of consent but there's also there's also um and there's also a greater awareness of of the risks that are inherent in a lot of the practices. Um, And that might make it safer, but um, it's also kind of an inherently risky space. Like a lot of these practices are are either physically or psychologically risky. And um, just because there is a culture of like sophisticated, Uh, conversations around this stuff doesn't mean that predatory and abusive people can't like learn all the lingo and hide themselves even in positions of power by saying all the right things and and like appearing to be safe people right so I would I wouldn't say that it's that it's safer but there is a greater awareness of the risks that go with this stuff I guess
1: right because of the sort of yeah sort of right and so like obvious things
0: Right. So one one of the things, for example, that is like kind of a, a I think a disturbing trend of the of the social media mainstreaming of, of of kinky stuff is like I see there's like hashtags and and trends that are about like being being choked, for example, on TikTok. Um, and breath play is super super risky. The and there's really no way to guarantee safety with any of that kind of stuff, but it's also super common. A lot of people, a lot of people in the vanilla world and the kinky world um, go for it, but I feel like the risk awareness kind of isn't there for a lot of people. Like a lot of people don't understand the potential for paralysis and nerve damage and all kinds of horrible outcomes. Um, And so I'd, I'd say that, that, there's a lot of people that are engaging in risks that they're not not fully aware of and I don't think it's fair to um to do that with partners that don't understand the kind of risks that they're taking Uh,
1: and perhaps lesser risks but also um there's some risks with bondage I guess any kind of like rope tying but there are some safe ways to do that I guess if you learn about it right
0: yeah you know like I didn't, I didn't know that some of the knots that I had been using before were, were, were risky because they're really hard to untie in a, in a crisis. And I didn't know that some of the, that, that like some of the places where I had put ropes before are bad ideas, you know, like around joints or upper arms. I didn't know that there were like these high risk areas for, for tying. Um, yeah. So a little bit, little bit of education can go a long way to make something safer, but, you know, a risky practice is going to remain risky.
1: I guess you, you haven't been in the Yukon a super long time, and obviously we're in a pandemic, but what, I guess, your, what's your sense of the Yukon kink community so far?
0: Well, of course it's small, um, and yeah, I moved back, I moved back here, I lived here for a year, a couple of years ago, but then I moved back here last uh, December, and um, I had I had a chance to make contact with I'd say about 10, um, 10 kinky UConners, uh, uh, and I would say that like five of them I've like uh, interacted with in person. Um, one of them I'm currently uh, currently dating, and they're and I've heard about I've heard about their events and I I, but I didn't have a chance to attend any of the any of the local munches but one of the things I'm looking forward to is at the end of the pandemic getting involved in trying to help host and organize uh, munches that are the type that I'm that I'm interested in I would like to try out having a discussion munch or two Um, I don't know maybe maybe people don't don't enjoy a moderated conversation the way that I do but I hope they do
1: now, what's your, um, I guess, advice for someone who has not been part of the kink community, say, like in the Yukon here, but they're interested in learning more or exploring that side of themselves?
0: the The online resources and books and and videos and stuff are easy enough to 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 Google. The, but honestly, the, the what I'm trying to advocate here is that like people need to need to meet face to face with people from outside their dating cohort you know like i think the the best the absolute best learning experiences in my in my kink journey through these decades has been in the last 2 years of actually going out and meeting other kinky people and listening to them talk and teach you know the being in the room with with someone as they're showing showing how to like safely tie a single column or you know talking about consent practices at a workshop or something. That's the kind of stuff that has been by far the biggest advantage to me in my in my personal growth. Um, And and so yeah like like I can think of several workshops that have just really changed my whole approach to not just to dating and and sex but to like communication itself. Like there's a great uh workshop in in Victoria that was offered by trans man that was about nonviolent communication and it made me realize how much of my communication style had been passive aggressive, right? And it was just I wouldn't have had that opportunity if I wasn't Putting, if I wasn't taking that scary step of actually going to where other kinky people are to learn what they're teaching,
1: mm, yeah, good, uh, good share there. Um, uh, I think this has been a really great conversation. Is there anything else that you uh, wanted to mention?
0: Yeah, I, I hope I hope that this show is a part of is it part of breaking down these um, kind of silly distinctions between the vanilla and kinky world? I think, I think as, as our culture evolves and people become more liberated about, about their own consent and their own, their own freedom to say yes to whatever they want that doesn't hurt other people um, is like, I think it's important that that, that that the conversations about consent just get just are had more often and expanded and that and that it's not that it's not sort of simplified into that sort of checklist approach. I just I think that uh, this kind of a show where people are are sharing perspectives from very different corners of the dating world is an excellent way for people to learn from others, you know, and be exposed to, uh, be exposed to things that, that maybe aren't for them, but maybe they can still learn from or get something from. Like I, I really got a lot out of, out of uh, several of the episodes before this. um, And it made me feel like this would be a great place for me to engage with making making white or making the north a safer place for people to be out of the closet
1: thank you it's so important to to have voices like yours um sharing their story so i really appreciate it okay thanks karen this episode was recorded and produced in white horse yukon by me karen mccall jordan patrick is our music guy and my co-host uh, we like it when we hear from you, so get in touch anytime, frisky north of sixty at gmail.com, or leave us a rating or a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again and stay frisky.